Welcome to the Drill Down, the business stories behind stocks on the move. I'm Corey Johnson. Today is Thursday, June 10. Well, just ahead, is it too late for another COVID vaccine? As it might be too late for Ocugen. Plus, how about some crypto for your 401k? Yeah, that's a thing. We'll discuss. And we're going to drill down on an important contractor to AT&T that's quietly benefiting from the move to 5G. We'll talk Maztec with Barry James. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. Era's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And if you're like so many listeners, you're listening to The Drill Down daily, and thank you. It's a whole lot easier if you subscribe and follow us. So go to your favorite podcast app, hit that subscribe button, and catch every show. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod, and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We do the business stories behind the stocks and the move. We want you to understand those companies, not just the wiggly line on the chart. Joining me right now, as always, executive producer Isaac Webster. Isaac, who are the three most developments in the world of business today? The three most developments. I will get to them. Hey, Corey, number one, we've been watching this trend gather steam, and now there's statistics to quantify it. Food is getting more expensive. The U.S. inflation rate hit an almost 13-year high last month. Consumer prices rising 5% in May compared to a year ago. Prices for used cars and trucks leapt 7.3%. That's something we will soon talk about with CarMax CEO Bill Nash. Be on the lookout for that. And these numbers, of course, reflect a pickup in demand as the pandemic recedes, along with shortages of labor and materials. Oh, we hear about it in just about every call now about the the things going on with inflation and the co- way that companies are seeing it. And almost inevitably, they're passing that all the way down to the consumer. Yep. Isn't that fun for us? Number two, next month, some workers will have the option of investing some of their 401k in cryptocurrency. Coinbase has teamed up with 401k provider For Us All Inc. And eligible workers will be able to invest up to 5% of their 401ks contributions in Bitcoin, Ether, Litecoin, and others. For us all has just $1.7 billion in retirement plan assets. That's a small piece of the $22 trillion retirement account market, but still it's an interesting move. And finally, the third most important business story of the day, the U.S. is launching a task force to open government data for AI research. That's according to the Wall Street Journal. The paper says the group will come up with a plan for potentially allowing researchers access to data about Americans like demographics, health, and driving habits, driving habits, excuse me. I guess there's no place safe from that giant algorithm in the sky. Uh, indeed, it's, it, it, that's another remarkable thing we hear on this show is how many companies are, are using data uh, for everything. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Let's look at Ocugen. Ocugen, that trades under OCGN. Shares fell over 28% today, but wait for this. They are higher. Shares have gained 2,292% over the past 12 months. So what is behind today's Ocugen plunge? Well, first, let's talk about the rise. The rise was because this company, the stock was trading as low as, I think, 40 cents uh, in December. This was a penny stock. Oh, wow. And the company announced a partnership with a company in India and said they were going to be able to develop a COVID vaccine. Stock went straight up and to the right. 
uh, with hopes that they would, in fact, be able to get this done and get it done really quickly. So they obviously have not. Can they? they can the company not. afford so a, they were, a failed trial? Well, they were trying to – the trial hasn't failed, to be really clear. Okay. So they right. were trying to pursue what's called emergency, youth author, uh, emergency use authorization, an EUA. Uh-huh. Um, right. And uh, they've been talking about this for quite a while, saying that they thought they were going to get this done. They submitted a lot of data to the FDA. Um, and today they announced that they weren't going to get that uh, emergency youth authorization. Um, and as you mentioned, the stock collapsed. So is there is there what's, – what's the next for them? What's next? Well, they've been raising a lot of money. They indeed in April they raised another hundred million dollars in a in a pipe deal. Pipe? Private investment in public equity, P I P E. Um, oh, so not, right, so not like a plumbing pipe. No, it's a a, a private investment in public equity. Um, it's essentially they sold a whole chunk of stock at once. Um, Copy that. Uh, so what's interesting here is you know, let's talk acronyms, right? EUA I mentioned emergency use authorization. There's also a BLA, the Biologic License Application. An EUA is fast. It's an emergency use, use authorization. A BLA is slow. And today they announced that they're going to drop their EUA request with the FDA and instead are pursuing a much slower BLA, or just a plain old biologic license application. Now, they said their decision was based on a recommendation from the, from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration which had requested more information uh, and more data to get full approval. They apparently had not submitted enough for the FDA. That means additional clinical trials. It means the drug approval, if it comes at all, won't come anytime soon. Now, just a month ago, the CEO, Shankar Musanuri, talked about the ongoing EUA process uh, and didn't seem to uh, think there were any problems, certainly didn't alert us to any. Here's Musanuri on May 7, remember that date, talking about the quite extensive submission for Ocugen to the FDA. So we are following FDA guidance on uh, um, EUA for COVID vaccines. So based on the guidance, um, master file uh, is a first step to include all preclinical manufacturing and any other data prior to phase three, so that it gives an opportunity for FDA to review and provide suggestions, comments uh, prior to filing a UA. So that's the process we have completed, and our file was quite extensive. Quite extensive, but not enough, apparently. Uh, and they're going to go a different route. Stock collapsed on that disappointment. Although, again, it's much higher than the 40 cents it was at, uh, you know, um, back in December. Uh, and the result is, um, you know, some people lost some money who might have bought it at the top, but this stock is still trading. Like I said, it went from 40 cents uh, just a few months ago to trade at $7 right now or $6.69, which is obviously a lot more, as you mentioned, almost 2,300% higher. Now, it is worth noting that those comments on May 7 came uh, right after Musanari sold $2.8 million in stock four days before that May 7 conference call. And it's also worth noting uh, that he sold $335,000 worth of stock just two days ago before this morning's announcement. Um, there was a big short interest in this stock. 20% of it was sold short. And sometimes uh, that indicates a high level of pessimism. I wonder what he's doing with all that money. Oh, he's going to pay a lot of taxes. That's nice. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. <laughs> Corey, what is your next drill down? 
Let's look at the company, the artist formerly known as Restoration Hardware, now called RH. RH shares rose 15% and have today and have gained 190% over the past 12 months. What's new with RH or dare, dare I say Restoration Hardware? Well, RH reported sales growth of 78% in the quarter against their, their lockdown comp from a year ago. They also reported gross margins of 48%. Think about that. 48% more than the stuff costs them. Uh, it was 42% a year ago. So they're selling a lot more and they're taking a lot of profit in there. Their adjusted operating margins came in at 23%. 23% operating margin, again, adjusted, importantly. But they boosted their guys. They said their 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 uh, really strong sales growth will continue. They had suggested it would be at about 17.5%. And now they say it's going to be more like 27.5%. Um, for the remainder of this year, um, and that their adjusted operating margins will stay really high uh, at about 24%. So um, very thick margins and very um, uh, strong sales. So what's what's fueling these sales? It can't be people like we've talked about with other companies, you know, people using their stimulus checks. People would, I, I can't imagine someone getting a stimulus check would go to restor restoration hardware. Well, uh, uh, People are rich. People have a lot of money and they're spending everything that they've got. Um, uh, I don't know if it's so much a direct correlation of taking the stimulus check and spending it at our age, but putting an extra couple thousand dollars in someone's pocket when they've already got money. Um, and very importantly, everyone's spending all their time at home. All the big retailers, Williams-Sonoma, um, yeah. Wayfair, you know, they're selling a lot of stuff because people are spending times in their homes or second homes like never before because of COVID and people looking to fix those places up. Um, now, you know, I'm, I'm not a big fan of the RH furniture. Why? I, I, I appreciate the candor. I appreciate the um, negative. But it's expensive you know, stuff that's not really great quality, I think. Well, that's full just disclosure. Me. Most of my home is furnished by RH. What I meant to say is it's I really beautiful stuff, but I really respect the people <laughs> who own it. Um, no, I think it's garbage. Look, some of it's good. Some of it I always thought was garbage. I think it's maybe some of it's better than it used to be. It's interesting that so much of it is manufactured in China where from the same factories where other stuff is being manufactured. Um, but, uh, you know, these guys are, are taking tremendous margin right now because uh, uh, people are spending so much time at home and, and are willing to spend a lot of money on it. Um, but what's interesting is also is that the future growth for this company, um, such as their plans to launch a new contemporary line, could be hindered by their ability to get product that has been manufactured in China. Here's CEO Gary Friedman. Um, and uh, and it, it will, yeah, we'll figure that out as we go. But but there is there is a bit of a supply chain constraint, uh, and, um, uh, and and that's why we haven't launched anything in a long time. So so uh, um, you know, but right right now we feel pretty good that kind of uh, kind of middle to later, I'd say late September, early October, we we look like we can launch contemporary. Um, and, you know, we'll launch the business, but, you know, it's like our business, people get a book. They don't start ordering that much in the first few days. It's, you know, about a month to digest it and the designs is that work in my house and, you know, and so on and so forth. So by the time people really start ordering contemporary, we should have pretty good in stock rates. Um, but it'll keep getting better and better and better as we move through, uh, the end of the year. So there you have it. Uh, they've they've just been doing great stuff, and they think they've got a good look once someone gets a book or a catalog. 
and then get a good look at what people are going to want before they place those orders. Maybe the backlog won't be as bad as it has been for RH customers in the last year. Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's look at fuel cell energy. F-C-E-L, fuel cell, shares fell 10% today, but they've gained almost 200% in a year. What's new with fuel cell? Well, um, fuel cell uh, reported a quarter that showed that they're having problems. I, mean, I think there was a lot of hope that uh, with the Biden administration, with the Democratic administration, there was going to be a lot of focus on alternative sources and storage of energy. So what what's happening? Why the drop well, today? Today they announced that their sales were actually um, really weak uh, on a year-over-year basis. In the quarter, they, did, they basically weren't selling stuff. Revenues were down 26% Ouch. to $14 million. Uh, their loss, you know, a year ago, that's on a quarter-over-quarter basis. A year ago, they had $167,000 profit. This time they had a nearly $5 million loss, um, a gross loss, I should say. Their, their actual um, uh, loss, their total loss was 19, 19.7, call it $20 million on $14 million in revenue, which is pretty hard to do. Um, and they pointed out that they didn't really sell uh, any any a lot of new units um, uh, and didn't have the the kind of success that they, I think a lot of people thought they're going to have in this business. So if I'm a consumer, what what are we talking about here? How would I buy how would I buy a fuel cell product? So this isn't for consumers. It's for um, uh, big installations that use a lot of energy uh, at different times of the day and need to generate energy at times when they don't want to pull it off the grid. They can store it using these hydrogen fuel cells. Um, and then the, the company services them. Um, and uh, that's, you know, the, the essence of their business. This is not some brand new cutting edge company, though. This company is literally 52 years old, uh, based in Connecticut. They've been around for a very long time. They make these hydrogen fuel cells and they go into, um, as I mentioned, co- commercial and industrial customers as well as utilities. Um, and they talked about, you know, stuff. They got an $8 million order from the energy department to, um, work on solid oxide fuel cell platform that they might do in the future. Um, they've tried to shore up their balance sheet a little bit here, though, because I think they recognize uh, that this is not going to be easy going. So, you know, as, we, as we've been working through our, our business strategy, one of the things that, that, you know, we focused the first several months, obviously, on, you know, fixing our, our balance sheet and creating some liquidity for the company our, you know, sales cycle generally for our utility scale projects range anywhere between, you know, 12 to 18 months. And so if you think about where we are on that timeline, you know, we fully, you know, anticipate that we'll start to convert projects that we have in our pipeline. Slowly. Uh, sales. And many of those opportunities. Someday. Uh, you know, kind of, kind of around the world are opportunities to actually be product sales, but obviously with each one of those, we bundle uh, a service agreement that runs coterminous with the life of the asset. So that's generally a a 20 year kind of service uh, agreement as well. Um, So we, we, you know, we fully expect to start to see some of those convert to the sales opportunities. So again, so when we think of what he's talking about here, he's talking about we're looking for things that could be opportunities that might turn into sales, that might turn into services down the line. But it's worth noting that in the quarter, they didn't have any new module exchanges where they had to swipe out an old module, bring in a new one, and get the service revenues for that. They literally had none in the quarter, and that's not good for fuel cell energy. 
All right, coming up next, Barry James joins us. We're going to dig into an important AT&T contractor that may be benefiting from the switch to 5G. We're going to drill down on Maztec. The drill down is brought to you by Aero. Aero's event access and monitoring intelligence platform improves earnings season and the investor events in between through comprehensive calendar tracking, one-click event access, dynamic monitors, multicasting, and more. Powered by an advanced language processing engine, which consumes some 40,000 investor events annually across 10,000 global equities. Learn more at Aero, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And remember to join the drill down on Twitter and Instagram at drilldownpod. And check out our website, bizpod.net. Let us know what stocks we should be drilling down on. Welcome back to The Drill Down. Our guest, Barry James of James Investment Research. Uh, Barry, thanks for joining us. Well, uh, what is James Investment Research? We're a uh, investment advisory firm in the Ohio area, just outside of Dayton, Ohio. Been around since 1972, managing money for clients. And uh, we've got uh, mutual funds and private accounts that we uh, we work with folks for. Pretty conservative group and have a, a pretty steady discipline as we uh, try to approach investing for them. So uh, what I want to understand here is the the business that you've brought before us today, Mastech. Tell me about this company. Yes, Mastech. Well, uh, <laughs> well, we've heard a lot about infrastructure <laughs> coming out of Washington, and this is one of the prime players in that area. Uh, that's not the only reason that we own this company, but uh, it does kind of highlight uh, what it does. This is a, a smorgasbord, if you will, of uh, of different lines that it works in. Um, it has basically five segments that it has. It has communications, which are above ground and below ground, uh, a lot in the 5G area. They do oil and gas, uh, and primarily in the transmission uh, phase of that. Uh, but they also tie that with clean energy uh, and and uh, the infrastructure for clean energy and then electrical transmission, which, you know, the uh, the grid is pretty important. And then they have a few other things. But uh, those are broadly the areas. It's uh, one of the largest uh, civil in infrastructure type of uh, companies in the in the country. Uh, and they have, uh, you know, big contracts with companies like AT&T. And uh, they've also been working on the, um, what's that thing called? It's the um, Midwest, um, I think it is, uh, transmission lines. I'll find it in a second. Um, well, that's, and that's, anyways. so, so well, uh, curiously, uh, obviously infrastructure is a big focus of what's coming out of Washington, D.C. right now. But even right. without that, these guys have really seen a terrific uh, run up in their business over the course of the last, you know, call it certainly the last year or so. And what has been driving that without an infrastructure bill, right? We've seen uh, on a revenue basis, the stock's been basically flat to down. Um, right. You've had uh, revenue growth declining over the course of the last year. Um, and yet the stock has gone crazy. Is this really all about the expectation of uh, infrastructure spending picking up? Well, that is, I think, in in part what it is. But this is a very well well run company. Um, the uh, sales growth is much higher than the competitors that it has. Uh, the free cash flow is very very strong, and, and the margin uh, on the free cash flow is is more than twice what the competitors are, and twice what its historical numbers have been. So it's really pumping cash through the system, and it isn't over leveraged. The other aspects about this uh, company is they, they're not standing still. 
in spite of what happened with uh, COVID and the like, uh, they have a very large backlog. It's it's as large now as it was even at the end of the year, about $8 billion. So uh, they've got things in place, uh, I think, to, to take uh, take it forward. And, you know, they're hitting all the right notes, if you will, if you think of it as a musical uh, composition, uh, communications and 5G. And with that is rural, which is, which is hugely important. And there's a major push, uh, you know, around the country to, to push out broadband into rural areas. And this is a company that is really um, in, in the pipeline for that. Um, also, their, their expertise in the oil and gas area, they do the engineering construction and maintenance uh, on the oil and gas pipelines. And so that's something, um, that's Mountain Valley Pipeline. That's the one that they're working on. Um, and that was held up last year in the middle of COVID. And that's a huge project. Uh, and uh, we're looking at that coming back online. The, everything seems to be cleared up, and so by 2022, it should be uh, it should be part and parcel of uh, you know their their uh, their revenue stream. And and so just to be clear, when we when we look at kind of the you mentioned the five different businesses that they're in, but communications really is the biggest chunk of that. It was 3.8 billion dollars out of the 7.8 billion or 7.9 billion that they did in 2020. When we saw in the first quarter a really big pickup of revenues, right, on a year-over-year basis, look, I think for everyone in the world, on a year-over-year basis, the first quarter looked better, <laughs> at least those of us who made it throughout yeah. a COVID a year later. So yeah. these guys see a 25% increase in their business. Is that the pickup in the pipeline business, or is there more to it than that? Well, uh, it's it's a combination of a couple things. Um, the oil and gas segment was a huge driver, uh, had, I think, in the first quarter about 125% uh, year-over-year increase. So that wow. was huge. Wow. Uh, and, you know, um, that accounted for about 75, 73% of the overall gain <laughs> in earnings for the company. So that is restarted work, uh, as I talked about that uh, um, the Mountain Valley Pipeline and other things that had been shut down, which is the problem why they, they didn't have, you know, much in gains last year. Um, the other area that uh, really saw a big jump um, was in the clean energy area, which you might expect. Uh, uh, and um, so that, that um, you know, the earnings before taxes, uh, depreciation and, uh, you know, um, amortization about doubled in that, that segment. So that was really, really strong. Communications did not have a big boost in the first quarter. So that was kind of held back. Uh, and, but I think that that's going to, you know, go forward. And then they've also had this uh, purchase of a, of a company called Intren, which is uh, a distribution uh, capabilities, more the Midwest and West, which they've not really had as much of a presence in. So they're looking forward. They're trying to, to you know, set the pace. Um, but again, there's lots of areas for things to, to hit uh, positive notes. It's interesting to me that you have a company that's doing so much domestic construction work, if you will, whether it's oil and gas or it's or it's communications. Um, I you know digging trenches either way, probably right. But it's based in on Miami, out of Coral Gables, Miami, or Coral Gables, Florida, I should say, outside of Miami. Um, what's the history of this company? Uh, I see in their 10K filing, they go all the way back to 1929. Um, I think uh, you probably have as much information as I do on the history. I've just been watching them, you know, on, on the, the more recent basis. I'm sure that they've, you know, kind of built from the ground up. They've always been a, uh, you know, 
a southeastern regional communications and infrastructure company. Uh, so that's where they got their start. And then they just kind of use those skills in different areas, uh, as, 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 you know, the way I understand it, to become, you know, the specialty contractors, uh, one of the largest ones in North America. So, you know, um, AT&T being one of their key customers. And, you know, just a few years ago, um, AT&T and the um, um, EQT, which is, uh, you know, on the um, this, um, this uh, uh, Mountain Valley Pipeline, accounted for mm, 60, 65% of uh you know of all the revenues and now that's down to about 18 percent. so um even though that was their focus at one point in time they've continued to diversify themselves and i think they've done it quite successfully yeah i see that uh, uh when they report that out as sort of a customer concentration that at&t went from t- in 2018 it was 23 percent of revenues now it's only 18 percent, as you mentioned and energy transfer also the that giant right. um uh pipeline company Yep. Um, again, goes from 15% to 5%. Is that important uh, when you look at this company to be diversified like that? Because they were you know, riding the heels of those two big customers doing the construction for energy transfer um, and AT&T uh, was a pretty good business for them for a while. It, it was, but uh, with with that comes a great risk. And so, um, you know, from an investor standpoint, we like um, having a big customer, but we also like having lots of customers. Uh, so if that, you know, were to, to pull away, it wouldn't destroy the company. Um, so I think, you know, the acquisitions they're making uh, in the, you know, civil engineering area, the clean in, you know, the, the working in the clean energy area, which is going to be one of the huge, huge, uh, you know, uh, growth areas as we go forward. I think it's very good. They're very forward looking in terms of their approach to their business and using their skills in civil engineering, as you said, digging <laughs> trenches and, and and putting pipelines and other things in place, uh, conduits and the like. So uh, I think I think they're just building on top of all of that. And uh, again, we think their their future looks uh, very promising. So, what is key to them as it relates to the infrastructure bill? Are there certain aspects of the uh, infrastructure bills that are being um, in Washington, D.C., obviously the White House proposing a much bigger bill than the um, Republican side of things. Um, are there certain things you'll be looking for there to say, okay, this is going to be great for Mass Tech. This is kind of break even for Mass Tech. Yeah, um, obviously any any money that goes into the rural broadband area um, would be uh, would be a big win for them. They're obviously not going to be involved with <laughs> roads and things like that and bridges. Uh, but um, you know, if if it does clear the way uh, for perhaps some other developments in the oil and gas, but primarily in the clean energy area, uh, you know, that's that's probably the key thing we're looking at is the clean energy because they're in they're in all of it. Um, you know, they're biomass, uh, they're solar. Uh, there's wind, so um, you know they're they're very keen in that area. And the grid, which uh, you know is is going to be crucial to bringing those throughout the whole country, that's very very much in their wheelhouse. So uh, the, the, the electrical, electrical grid. transmission, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's I think that's such an under, underlooked sort of part of our energy infrastructure, in particular um, the inefficiency of the energy infrastructure. How much power is lost? just moving electricity through the grid uh, that eventually shows up at our doors or in our businesses. But there's so much more that's generated that never makes it there because the grid is so archaic. 
Exactly. And, uh, you know, if we're going to really electrify, <laughs> uh, you know, things in a, in a renewable way, uh, that is going to be uh, an absolutely uh, major, um, you know, development as we go forward. And if those things are not in the bill, uh, does that then make you uh, make this a little less interesting to you or is a negative sign for this company? You know, uh, <laughs> one thing we've learned about uh, government and, and companies is they can, they can create business for them or they can destroy business. Uh, but, um, you know, they have to be able to operate on their own regardless of what the government's doing. And I think they've got enough um, irons in the fire, if you will, that uh, they can they can survive even if they don't get a a you know a, a juicy little plum <laughs> within the infrastructure bill, uh, but they're just a really solid company and you know the prospects of the economy are strong. Um, some of these trends are are now permanent trends, uh, you know the the five G and like and the renewables and so forth. So whether there's anything in there or not, um, you know I, I'm not I'm not that worried about it. it that is not the reason we bought it. Uh, although it is a nice little um, side interest, if you will, <laughs> the fact that that could be a benefit. Talk to me about management of this company. Well, um, as far as we look at it, um, we look at the numbers. <laughs> I I can tell you a lot more about that than I can tell you about you know where somebody went to school or you know what his background is. And um, I like a clean balance sheet. I like to see uh, them you know, with good, strong cash flow and low margins, uh, those sorts of things tell me that, uh, you know, they're, they're operating their business in a very efficient manner. Uh, so um, from the numbers, uh, I like what I see with the, with the management. And uh, again, uh, you can tell by what I say, I don't spend a lot of time um, actually looking at who the people are because uh, in the end, that doesn't really drive the price of the company. Uh, it's interesting. Yeah, there, there are two schools of thought there, right? Is, is There's the, the know every last thing about management and management makes all the decisions. And then the other school of, is just the opposite, right? Which is all that matters is the numbers that you put up. doesn't matter the background that, that led to that. That's the, the money ball aspect, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. yeah, very true. And, and, and it, that, that it is interesting to me, this business is not so highly levered, right? About a billion dollars in net debt for a, a company with an enterprise value of about nine and a half billion. Yeah, and uh, it, that gives them the the freedom uh, when things like uh, COVID affect the price of uh, you know some of the companies like Intrin, they were able to, to pick that up, and uh, that's going to uh, you know accrete fairly quickly to their bottom line, and certainly give them uh, you know a, a momentum in an area where they did not have representation before. So, I um, you know I, I I applaud them. Yes, that does bump up the the, um, you know, the leverage a little bit, but that's why you have it available is to use well, it when there's opportunity. And, and the free cash flow growth, as you mentioned, the cash from operations just through the roof. I mean, if you look back five years, cash from operations, it's a, it's almost five times what it was five years ago. Yeah. And, uh, we love free cash flow. That tells me that, uh, they, they really are running a, a good operation, uh, you know, in terms of their operational, uh, costs and and the like uh, in comparison to the revenues. So um, that is a, that is a very important in the long run, especially in a kind of a hardcore business like this is rather than you know just an IT. Well, Barry James, we appreciate it. Uh, Barry James talked to us about MassTech, uh, interesting business, um, uh, riding on the coattails of a lot of work and a lot of 
lot of uh, um, backhoes <laughs> working the, the the streets and byways of this country, whether it's telecommunications or oil and gas. Great stuff, Barry James. Um, appreciate your time. All right, up next on the drill down, the bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. We're going to tell you about those free cash flow numbers coming from Mastec right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and, act and surface actionable insights automatically. Era's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And we keep hearing from listeners how the drill down is becoming their daily check of business news that goes beyond the markets. We hope it is for you too. So subscribe. We don't care if it's iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeart, TuneIn, Pandora. We don't care. But subscribe. Follow us. Make sure you catch the show every day. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod. And connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. Okay, we told you that Mastec has, has seen a dramatic increase in its free cash flow. But holy cow, that bite, that no, one number that tells us a whole lot, the cash flow from this company that four years ago was just $14 million in the last year. Ready for that number, Isaac? Yeah. $723 million in free cash flow from Mastec. So the business wow. isn't a lot bigger on the top line, but in a free cash flow is very different than what it used to be. Wow, one to watch. Thank you, Barry James, for bringing this to us. Yeah, indeed. And thank you for listening to The Drill Down. I'm Corey Johnson. Isaac Webster's our executive producer. The Drill Down's a production of the Business Podcast Network.